heart and soul of a nation, beckons the call. The voice of our forefathers heard in the distance. A house divided against itself cannot stand. To reclaim our honor. honor. Our soul. The challenges of a generation call out. Future generations hang in the balance. We choose liberty. This is the voice of a nation. The nation. The nation. The nation. And now, Malcolm. I started to see the rumblings of the news stories on the on again, off again buyout of Twitter from Elon Musk, and uh, now it was on again. Caught my attention. Elon Musk's Twitter will be a wild ride, was the headline I awoke to in the New York Times. They say his deal to buy the company is back on. Here are six predictions about Twitter under Musk control if it happens. It has been a wild ride with Elon Musk and Twitter on again, off again. And to a lot of conservatives and Republicans who were really hoping this deal would have taken place, it seemed like it was all for naught, uh, that it was not going to happen with the lawsuits back and forth. But then again, like a lot of these big deals, things can change quickly and with with speed. Uh, as it does often with a billionaire like Elon Musk. Uh, things change, feelings change, and then the deal completely takes a reverse course. While that's interesting news, uh, the Twitter buyout, and certainly something to talk about, I find something more critical today that I'd like to discuss with you. This one read in the Boston Globe, with a headline, I just learned I only have months to live. This is what I want to say. And the subhead to that was, I've been a journalist for more than 60 years. So after doctors delivered the news, I sat down to do what came naturally, if painfully, write this story. And this is by the journalist Jack Thomas who then was reported, this initial story was written in July 21st, 2021. And I remember seeing it back then and reading it. But this story I awoke to was an update on October 3rd that said Jack Thomas, journalist, who pointedly wrote of his terminal diagnosis, dies at 83. So the lessons learned here in the life of Jack Thomas who I did not know personally, but surely through his writings, I find quite fascinating. And this column, what I'd like to share with you over the next hour is, I think, more profound than the Twitter buyout and Elon Musk, although we'll come back to that another day. I think this story has uh, far-reaching ramifications for all of us as people. And and it's something that I'm curious about a lot is life, uh, human behavior, why we're on the planet here, and where we're all going after we do die. And it's something you have to admit, we all think about it, whether we admit it or not, we surely think about it. What's important to us in this lifetime? Are we maximizing the opportunities of this lifetime? What did we get wrong? What did we get right? When do we depart this lifetime? What happens after this lifetime? It really gets to the core of a lot of the things I talk about 
in the fight of good and evil. This story by Jack Thomas, I found quite enlightening. I think you will as well. So over the next hour, I'm going to take this just impromptu, this fascinating story and column that Jack Thomas wrote initially back in 21 at the height of COVID, keep in mind, and bring it forward with some additional editorial and comments from myself as we weave this story of life. I think you'll get a lot out of surely Jack Thomas's comments and the narration I'll provide to you as we do this with some own personal stories. So Jack Thomas opens up and he says, as a teenager, I often wondered how my life would change if I knew that I would die soon. Morbid, perhaps, but not obsessed. Just curious. How does a person live with the knowledge that the end is coming? How would I tell family and friends? Would I be depressed? Is there an afterlife? How do you get ready for death anyhow? Those are all good questions that Jack Thomas puts out there and probably questions we've all thought a great deal about over time. How do we live life to the fullest, I ask you, friends? Are we living life to the fullest? You know, and one of the things I thought about with this Jack Thomas editorial that I ask all of you right now is I ask myself, are we living in the micro details of life? Or should we take a more macro level at the world around us? My sense is we get often caught into the minutiae of details and sometimes lost in the weeds it would be a, a saying you'd understand you've heard before. And rather than stepping back, which I often do, and I've shared that with you many times. And I tend to do that. I've always done that in my life, even as a young man. I would step out of the room or step out of the moment or step out of the situation and look back with a different set of eyes. I've actually done that in some fascinating gatherings, even meetings, discussions, both personal and professional where something just was happening in the room and it was profound at the moment. And it just struck me the irony of the moment was not lost on my consciousness. And I would be engaged in the room and I'd see what's going, but there's a part of me that would literally step out of the room and look back in with thought, with understanding, with affection to what was taking place and realizing at that moment, friends, that, I don't know. We'd never repeat that moment again. It's something I never lose sight of. Sometimes, you know, you're with some very special people or a really interesting conversation. And it's, there's just something warm and fuzzy about the moment. You know what I mean? That this conversation, this moment in time will never be repeated again. It's just right here. It's live at this moment of time with these very special people that I'm accompanied with. And there's something, you know, glorified about that moment, you know, and it allows me to be in that moment fully. That makes sense. You see, and I love being in that moment fully. 
it's like it, it's like being totally alive. It's being connected to the people in that in that room, in that environment, in that moment. And I, I just grasp that. There's something to that that I pull into me. There's a strength with that. I find that very fulfilling. And oftentimes I've, I've been through my life in those moments that I cherish. And I can think right now of some of those moments. Right at this moment, I can go back and think about those times and think about it yourself those special moments that you've gathered you know they'll never be repeated again but there's there was something uniquely special about that now having said that you know think about that moving forward and think about the moments we have yet to embrace right and think about how special those can be and um, that for us to fully embrace, to grasp this life, we need to embrace it, I guess I would say, you know, to to fully have a full understanding and grasp of the life at hand. We have to be able to embrace those moments, those conversations, those meetings, those times. Yeah, there's something uniquely special about that, you see. So ask yourself those questions, you know, are we living in the micro details of life or should we take a more macro level at the world around us, which is something I think we need to do as people. And I think this will enlighten each of us. It will give us a, a better scope and a sense of the world around us, you know, there are other questions that follow this now that I think about to share with you. Do we have a career that fulfills us or is it a job to buy a loaf of bread? Now, this is something that I think about often. And I really wish for everybody to experience the joy of life by doing what you were meant to do, what you were designed to do, what you were built to do, what your life's calling is. My fear is that too many people don't experience that. And they live a life of regrets, not knowing it at the moment, because they're understandably busy putting that loaf of bread on the table. But there is far more to life than a job. And I know this because oftentimes, even here at America Out Loud, I'll get to these moments and I'll pinch myself to realize, wow, I'm living a life that I was designed to live, that I was supposed to live by being here in the moment. That's truly a, 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 the most rewarding feeling and sense of accomplishment I could possibly share with you. And it's something that I've strived for my whole life. Having spent a lot of years in corporate boardrooms, it would have been a safe zone to stay there as a lot of people would be within their jobs or professions that pay well and do well. But there's a, there's a calling in the back of our minds, in the back of our heads that reaches out to us that, and we know we're not doing exactly what we should be doing, what we want to do, but the fear of all of this uh, can be daunting. And it keeps us in a position that we possibly, uh, years later, will regret, you see. And that 
and I was on that fence years ago before I took the leap. It was a big leap. And I went with my gut feeling that there was more to life. I was going to make a difference. And this was the form and the platform that that where I would be able to make that difference, you see. For me personally, I'm speaking. But for you, each of you, you also have those things in your life, whatever they may be. I mean, it's it's special to only you because it is about you. So I wish that for everybody, that we have a, a fulfillment, a, a career, a life, because we spend so many hours working uh, to, to, you know, for uh, not only support ourselves, but for something better in life. Um, and so this is something I truly wish for every one of us, really. The other thing I'll think about is, are we living in regrets or are we still visualizing the possibilities? And that's a big one. Because when we stop visualizing the possibilities, we, we probably at the, are at the end of our rope or we've lost all hope or we've given up or we're at the point of some life crisis or near the very end and we don't see the possibilities. Whereas if we always visualize those possibilities, even upon death now, understanding the possibilities of what might happen next or that you fully embraced it. Imagine being able to embrace death in that enthusiastic way. I'm just thinking about this for a moment, or to be able to, to leave this life with a smile on your face, knowing that you fully embrace not only being here, but that moment of, of that death or the moment of what was going to happen after that. You hear so many stories about the bright lights or the, uh, you know, the, the various moods and moments of people who were at that point. You know what I mean? And I, I just think what a beautiful thing that would be to be able to embrace every moment, including that moment where you take your last breath with a smile on your face to what that might be. Hmm. That truly is a gift right there. I, I don't have all the answers for you there, but I find it is a remarkable point to bring up. Now, this uh, op-ed, I want to get back to Jack Thomas here in the Boston Globe, who has uh, written about this journey and the terminal diagnosis he had on the life it's a fascinating read. Uh, so join me and follow me here as we continue on with Jack Thomas. And he says, Jack says, several years ago, in pursuit of a degree at Harvard, I took a seminar in writing. We had to compose an essay each week and submit it to each classmate so that each essay underwent scrutiny in class, not only by the professor. But, but also by 12 colleagues. One week, I imagined that I had been told by doctors that I would die within a few months. In my essay, I pulled out all the stops. I described whom and what I'd miss. I hoped for a comfortable afterlife and wondered if after death, I could still hear favorite music, choose savory foods, and even whether the globe would arrive on time. Fascinating. Here's the twist to this, friends. Jack goes on to say, the essay worked 
perhaps because even then at age 70, I was already an old fogey compared to my classmates. As I approached the classroom, I noticed a young woman holding the door open for me, and I quick-stepped so as not to detain her. How are you, Jack? she asked. Fine, how are you? said. No, she said tenderly. I mean, really, how are you? I realized at once. She had taken the essay, literally. <laughs> well, fellow students believe in my essay to be truth were laudatory and compassionate. Throughout the semester, thinking that I soon would die, classmates judged my writing with mercy. I never had the courage to tell them I was healthful. Now, however, destiny is about to get even with me. The irony of that, that I share with you, friends, that Jack shares with his readers uh, is most fascinating, you know. After a week of injections, Jack says, blood test, x-rays, and a CAT scan, I have been diagnosed with cancer. It's inoperable. Doctors say it will kill me within a time they measure not in years, but months. As the saying goes, fate has dealt me one from the bottom of the deck, and I'm now condemned to confront the question that has plagued me for years. How does a person spend what he knows are his final months of life? Oh, it's an interesting question, friends. We all need to probably ask ourselves, no matter what your age is, because let me be clear, this happens to many people at any age. It could be eight years old, it could be 28, it could be 48, it could be 68, it could be 108. We don't know, but it's a question we could ask. We take youth as a permanent invitation that we will have our whole life ahead, but it doesn't always work that way, friends. A lot of people whose lives get cut short, I would suggest to you, and they never get to see the experience of some of the things Jack will share with us today in this fascinating piece in the Boston Globe, okay? Jack goes on to say this. Atop the list of things I miss, I'll miss are the smiles and hugs every morning from my beautiful wife, Geraldine, the greatest blessing of my life. I hate the notion of my eternity without hearing laughter from my three children. And what about my 40 rose bushes? Who will nurture them? And I, I cannot imagine an afterlife without the red of my America roses or the aroma of my yellow Julia Childs. Till now, life's been grand, Jack says. I was blessed to write for a newspaper, a career often described as the life of kings. I was a teenager when I began to work for the Globe as a copy boy in sports, followed by beats as police reporter, statehouse reporter, city editor, editorial writer, Washington correspondent, national correspondent, television critic, feature writer. My first story was in 58. So publication of this essay today marks the eighth decade that my writing has appeared in the globe. And I'm mad living some of this, friends, but you get the point. He Jack goes on to say, in every newsroom, death has a full-time job. 
And so like many reporters, I've written a lot about it. Murderers, suicides, fatal accidents. I've written too many obituaries for my family, friends, and colleagues. Not every story about death has been depressing. I interviewed a man in Florida who was 104 years old. When I arrived at his nursing home, he was not, as I had imagined, sitting around in a bathrobe drooling. He had been dressed in a sports jacket, as he did every day, and was reading a book about Civil War history. <laughs> I also interviewed a sweet woman, 101 years old, who was annoyed at God. She intended to give him a piece of her mind. Her greatest grief was not her pending death, but the fact that she had outlived her four sons. And she said, and I quote, I can't imagine what God had against me that he would take them before me, she said. From the mantle of her fireplace, with trembling hands, she lifted a photograph of each of her son and kissed it. <laughs> Again, friends, I say to you, my comment, you never know what life is going to bring us, do you? You don't know when we, how long we get or how long we're here, which is why I count the blessings of life are so important. It's why I remind you every day about that, you see. That's why I find this writing from Jack Thomas in the Boston Globe fascinating. He goes on, Jack says, editing the final details of one's life is like editing a story for the final time. Interesting. It's the last shot an editor has at making corrections, the last rewrite before the roll of the presses. It's more painful than I anticipated to throw away files and paperwork that seemed critical to my survival just two weeks ago. And today are all trash. Like the manual for the TV that broke down four years ago and notebooks for stories that will never be written. From four former girlfriends, letters whose value will plummet the day I die. Fill in waste basket after waste basket is a regrettable reminder that I have squandered much of my life on trivia. Friends, Jack shares so much there and what I just share with you about the macro and micro details of life and the things we get caught in, what he calls the trivia, life on trivia. Um, too many get caught in those micro details and live a life of regrets, of hate. Mm. We can do better as people, I suggest to you, you know. You know, we get caught a lot, I would say to you, in the politics of life as well. We're, we're in a very uh, divisive and um, uh, environment that uh, creates a um, turmoil uh, hostilities within families, within friends, within acquaintances, groups, life. It's the nature of it. And Jack touches a little bit on that. Obviously, with his background as a reporter, you could not help but to cover uh, politics is everything in life. And and he, he gets into it a little bit here in a funny kind of way. I'll share with you here. And, you know, and, and I get, and we'll we'll discover together here in a moment. So, and probably many of you know, as a very popular journalist for the Boston Globe, he was very much a liberal uh, in his politics. Uh, um, but he comes from an interesting family origins as well, which I find fascinating. And I'll share with you his family. His dad, if he points out, was a Republican. Interesting. He was a, he was a hard Democrat liberal. You know. Uh, as many are working for the Boston Globe or the New York Times. Journalism, I, I, for whatever reason, has been a megaphone uh, to those folks. Um, maybe part of it's, uh, this is me talking now, maybe part of it is because they, they wish to change the world or find 
a way for a softer, gentler people, nation, and they find this is a way they can do it, maybe. I'm not suggesting that Republicans and conservatives don't think that way. But often I've been told or reminded that they're busy making money, raising families, doing the capitalism thing and not exactly using the megaphone, which may explain why uh, social media and media, newspapers, television and all kinds of uh, media outlets are littered with uh, more um, uh, liberal thinkers. Uh, and I'm not saying that's necessarily an evil thing, people. Uh, it's just the takeover within the politics has clearly gotten out of hand here. Um, I think even Jack might admit that today, possibly, you know. Uh, back to his words, his column here, Jack says, and, and to remind you all, this was written now, this initial uh, article, it was written in the Boston Globe in uh, July 21. It was actually July 21 of 21, right in the heat of COVID, by the way. And it was only just a days ago here where Jack uh, uh, died from his terminal diagnosis, which we'll continue to talk about here on the voice of a nation here. Um, now, you know, friends, uh, with all of the things we talk about here, uh, I find it a privilege to be able to communicate with you uh, my heartfelt feelings, not just political stories. And as I mentioned up top of the program, big stories like uh, Elon Musk and the Twitter bio. And it's a significant story. I think today's story and what I'm sharing with you has far reaching, more personal ramifications to each of you listening. And I hope you'll find this also of great interest. And as I share with you Jack's story, that you'll potentially share this out there with hundreds of other people, I hope, because there's some real big lessons here. Um, as always, the uh, story in the Boston Globe and all of this with Jack Thomas, I'll put the, the links in all of this, as well as what Jack says in the post as this goes to podcast here on The Voice of a Nation here. Uh, very much so. Uh, I want to remind you all to, you know, in as we're doing this together as we're building this life and embracing all that life has. And I, I just want to help as many people and continue to remind you to um, make it your best life, uh, step out and do the things you can do. And, you know, this is important. And there's some really big lessons here that Jack shares with us just ahead. I will share with you that I think we can each take uh, heart to and uh, glean some life lessons from him. And that's what I really wish for everybody that you take from this um, some real life lessons that you can apply in your personal life. Uh, you'll experience a bigger journey so that when you get to this point of life and the door begins to close here, uh, you'll maybe do what I suggested a moment ago. Maybe we'll all have the privilege of a, uh, you know, leaving this life with a smile on our face and embracing whatever happens next, which Jack talks about, by the way, and I will share some of that with you shortly here, as well as the political story he just uh, talked about, which I think is a funny story with his family. Uh, let me remind you as well that um, all of our uh, fulfillment of our life and our sponsored partnerships are key to all of the... Um, uh, opportunities and uh, the grace here we have at America Out Loud 
Uh, I remind you every day about Healthy Cell. It's a phenomenal product, no doubt about it. Uh, immune Super Boost, REM Sleep, a Focus and Recall. These micro gels are powerful. Our listeners get 25% off that first order for sure. Uh, the only place you'll get that discount is here at America Out Loud. Uh, use the code out loud when you purchase the product, the micro gels. Look into it and see. All I always encourage you to study the products and see what works best for you. And if you have questions, we can answer. Always send them to me here at talk at americaroutloud.com. I will do my best to help you along here. Uh, we do Q&As. I do a lot of different uh, programs, as you know, with Dr. Henry Ely, with Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. Stephen Latulip, a lot of the people, Dr. Elizabeth Lee Bleet. Uh, we have some amazing um, family of MDs and scientists, engineers on the platform here. Um, so take a look at that. Uh, the other products you want to look at as well. I've been telling you about Genesis HOCL. Uh, this is a product that brings great value to all of our lives. It's a household product, no doubt about it. HOCL kills um, pathogens, superbugs, viruses, influenzas, SARS-CoV-2, uh, and it stops in its tracks because these pathogens are spread through the air. So we've discovered that's the problem, as I was just sharing with uh, Dr. McCullough on um, uh, America Out Loud Pulse. Uh, this is the problem of how these pathogens get shared, not through substances and, you know, um, tabletops and all that, which a lot of people were fearful of back in the moment here. Uh, we've learned a lot through this. So uh, HOCL is a powerful product, which kills all these pathogens on contact. But the thing is, if you put it in the Genesis uh, fogger, it puts a dry mist in the ear, which immediately kills all those pathogens. That's what's so exciting about the product. So this is really something that you want to embrace and enjoy is uh, the uh, Fogger, uh, Genesis, H-O-C-L. Our listeners, again, get 15% off that Fogger. It's a pretty big deal. Uh, use the code out loud again. And again, look at the research, the scientific findings, all of that. Just go to americaoutloud.com, front page, or on any post. Click that little banner out there and uh, engage and see what it's all about. And, uh, and then make a decision for yourself. And if there's something I can help you with, by, by all means, reach to me. I'll do my best, I promise you. But we'll get you the answers from the companies or the doctors or whatever I can help you with, okay? Fair enough. Take a look at those products and see how they add value to your life, friends. In the meantime, let's take a quick pause and we'll rejoin you just on the other side here. You're listening to the voice of a nation. The silent majority has spoken. We say, let the silent voices be heard. You can be the voice of change. Contact our producer at libertyatamericaoutloud.com. libertyatamericaoutloud.com. These days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top and shoot it down, or mix it in water. Boost your immunity. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order, risk-free, Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code out loud. HealthyCell.com. Code out loud. 
Hello, I'm Ben Marble, MD, and I founded MyFreeDoctor.com as a donation-supported, faith-based nonprofit with a mission to save lives by delivering free doctor visits to patients in all 50 states of America. MyFreeDoctor.com treats a broad range of health concerns like COVID-19, long COVID, sinus infections, urinary tract infections, rashes, medication refills, and more. So please visit MyFreeDoctor.com where we're healing America one person at a time. Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day. Yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. My fellow Americans, this is Malcolm Out Loud. You know, a few years back, I was in corporate boardrooms offering counsel to business executives worldwide. It was important and demanding work, but out of the corner of my eye, maybe like you, I was watching some dangerous trends in our nation. Marxist teachers and professors brainwashing our children. A media that was not just biased, but complicit and overly partisan, an offshoot of the Democrat Party even. And the progressive culture that was shutting down even violently any voices that challenge these radical ideas and tactics. Well, AmericaOutloud.com was born at that very moment. Well, it was a challenge I could no longer ignore, and I joined forces with some of the nation's most influential voices to bring you the real news and discussions that Americans need to hear at this crucial crossroads in American history. It is a fight for the soul of humanity. America Out Loud Talk Radio is the voice of liberty and justice for all. Welcome back to my fellow Americans and to our friends around the globe. And it's truly a, a pleasure, a privilege to be with you. I hope you're enjoying the conversation today. I thought this would bring more personal value. I just felt compelled to share this with you. And I thought we'd get back to the Twitter news of Elon Musk another day, which would have been the story for today. But I think this is more um, profound and uh, impactful for all of us. And this is about the death of journalist Jack Thomas, the writer for the Boston Globe, who initially wrote back in July of 2121 uh, that uh, he had this terminal disease uh, with a diagnosis. And he wrote the story. Uh, to the globe. And uh, now in October of 22, it has been indeed documented that he has died at age 83. Uh, Jack was a mainstay, uh, spent many years at the, uh, the the globe and had a beautiful life as a journalist. And he shares much more with us now. Let's get right back here for time. And let me share with you this political story that he talks about with his family. Jack says this, the final months would be a lot easier if I could be assured that after death, we'd get the chance to see people who have died already. Do, do you think about this as well, friends? I think we probably all do. I'd like to shake the hands with my best friend, my father, who died in 72, and whom I've missed every day since. I owe him an apology. 
When I was 12, I stole 50 cents from his trousers, two quarters. The guilt was suffocating, though, and 10 years later, I replaced his 50 cents and I added an extra 25 for interest and atonement. <laughs> you know, I, I think about that, what Jack says there, friends. And I think about the little white lies we all carry around with us or something we uh, might have guilt for, uh, that, like he said, suffocating. You know, we all have those little stories or things we wish we would have done differently or could change or something like that. And Jack confesses uh, the 50 cents. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just I try to think back now and reflect myself some of the things I might change. You know, for sure. We all have them. Nobody is perfect here, to be sure. Um, Jack says here back to this uh, family dispute I want to share with you. He says, the only thing we argued about was politics. Uh, Dad was an ardent Republican. <laughs> I'm a born liberal, he says, um, is what Jack says here. When my son was born in 94, the doctor held him by his ankles upside down, as they do in movies, and announced that it was a boy. Well, I know that, I said nervously. Is he a Democrat? <laughs> I love it. Later that year at Mount Auburn Hospital, as my mother neared death, I asked, where do you think we go after death? Uh, I asked, right? I don't know, she said, voice a quiver, but I think I'm going on a long trip and I think I'm going to see your father. And then I said, Jack, Jack says, if you see dad, tell him we finally got rid of that SOB Nixon. As usual, she leaped to his defense. Don't talk about your father that way. <laughs> I, I love that story that Jack says about his family and politics. And, you know, uh, it is ironic that Jack was a liberal with the Boston Globe, yet his dad and mom were obviously Republicans, because you don't see that as, as much today. Typically, people are following their family traits and, you know, their father was this or the great great grandfather was this or. And that's the reason a lot of people explain why they are Democrats or Republicans today, which is really not uh, probably the best defense if we're going to be conscionable and make decisions for ourselves. And let's face it, Republicans and Democrats have changed a lot over the years and the political parties and persuasiveness has absolutely changed. So maybe that's a lesson from Jack. We all should be looking more carefully at the decisions we make. But Jack felt he was where he needed to be, obviously. At one time, and Jack would probably admit this, this was the beauty of our nation, which I always speak to you about, friends. The diversity of our nation was an amazing attribute of being an American. We've lost that symbol of freedom and liberty, uh, that torch. We've, we've lost that feeling, uh, that sensibility about being American. We've lost it. Because back in these days, this is the days where Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan could have a conversation, disagree during the day and, and surely have a drink later in the evening or shoot the breeze. Uh, today has changed uh, a lot. And a lot of it's the hostilities and the global takeover of things we talk about pretty routinely here, you know. But within all that said, never do I wish the worst of people just because they are a Democrat or Republican or what have you. Now, we can, that's a fine line, of course, when you get into Marxism and communism and evil and all of that, friends. Uh, obviously, the, the lines blur a little bit. I think you might agree with me, you know. The, the, the bottom line is I love Jack's sense of his family there and his dad, God rest his soul. 
and uh, his family and his mom and the interaction back and forth with his mom about defending his dad who had passed away prior. I think he said back to 72 and was his best friend. I guess there's hope then maybe for Republicans and Democrats to agree and disagree and still be friends, right? At least by Jack's uh, definition here. Yeah. Uh, Jack goes on. I want to talk to you about what he says next about career choice. Jack says, this is interesting to me. Some people grow into adulthood confused about a career. But I was lucky. From age 14, I want to be a newspaper man, Jack says, you see. Which is why I mentioned up front to you about career choice and, you know, the time and effort we spend in our jobs is is massive. Just like the, the time we spend sleeping is massive uh, versus the other time we spend arguing and fighting with each other here, people, you know. This is me speaking now. I think that I try to define the two when it's Jack's column and when it's me. Uh, as we interweave the story here. But, you know, it is interesting when you think back at 14 or 15 or 16 or 18 or 20 or 10, uh, what we thought we might want to do. So many people lose their hopes and their dreams and their aspirations uh, for what moves them in life. And I, it's one of the biggest regrets I hate that people have to deal with in their lives um, for a lot of reasons. I've seen a lot of people around me growing up as a young boy, myself, friends, that were just doing jobs, just existing in the neighborhoods. And uh, and I, I, I never wanted to be there at that point of that life. But I also knew early on as a young lad, as Jack did at 14, I can relate to this because I also knew at 14, uh, truth be told, that um, I was going to do something very uniquely in the public sphere. I knew that God was going to use me for some higher purpose, not knowing exactly what it was going to be, but I knew it was going to be in the public space. And I knew it would be to make an ultimate difference in this world, not knowing why or how, but that was probably the biggest reason that drove me out of the corporate boardrooms, actually, to be real with you, keeping it real. I loved the advertising marketing field. I loved what it did. I loved all of the work, but I was unfulfilled. And I spent a lot of years there, made a living, but I knew it wasn't my destiny. And, I, and it's not that I was in regrets, but I didn't want to have regrets. But I also felt a calling that I needed to be doing something else in my life that I knew from when I was like Jack's age, when he knew 14, 15, that there was far more to this life than... Where, where I was at that moment. And it's not that I hated what I did. That's not it at all. I actually loved it. But I had a higher calling. I hope that makes sense to you. And I, I think probably a lot of you can relate to what I'm saying. And many of you probably have a higher calling as well. You know, I want to extend that opportunity with you now. And if you have a higher calling and you're not fulfilled and there's something happening, uh, reach out to me and let me know your story. Potentially we can share it or potentially you just want to share it to keep it in confidence. That's fine too. Um, but, or if I can help in some way or give some advice to lift you up out there, uh, let me know what that is. You uh, Really, truly, I mean, so many people reach to the network here. I'd be thrilled to know that. You can reach to me here at talk at americaoutloud.com, okay? And uh, help in any way I can. Um, 
so I can relate a bit to Jack's story here, quite a bit, actually, about his 14, 15-year-old confession of knowing what he wanted to be and where I was at as well. And, you know, I delivered newspapers as a young boy. <laughs> we had to have something in common with Jack, for sure. And getting into journal journalism and in the media world, we have a connection there as well. Obviously, our politics are different and other things, but having love and passion and compassion for the world and our fellow man is something that would connect Jack and I in a big way. I'm a constitutional conservative. Um, I, I don't know enough about his political uh, machinations beyond his uh, liberal doctrine that he is, but uh, hopefully he had love and respect for our constitution as well as in our country. And if he's a JFK Democrat, then he surely understands that. And probably he is from that era, uh, more traditional in thinking of a diversified America, Jack sounds like the kind of guy I could sit down with and have a conversation. I mean, his dad was a Republican at that and a conservative, obviously. And uh, so I'm sure I could have had a conversation with Jack and been just fine. You know, Jack goes on to say, in my working class, Boston uh, neighborhood, or is it Boston? <laughs> at age 14, I delivered the weekly newspaper, the Dorchester Argus, uh, and the Daily Hearst tabloid, The Record, uh, paying 3.4 cents per copy and selling each for a nickel, <laughs> a profit of 1.6 uh, cents per paper, plus whatever tips I could finagle. On the porch in front of my father's boarding house, I practiced folding the tabloid record into thirds without creasing it too much, so that when I tossed it high toward a front porch with a spin, the newspaper would open flat with a headline facing the customer as she opened the door to retrieve it. To me, every daily newspaper was a wonder. All those stories, local, national, global, all written on deadline with photographs, analysis, columns, editorials, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, friends, I want to share with you, as a young lad, even when I was the age that Jack's talking about here at 14, 13, 14, 15, I became a newspaper carrier myself, and I very being very entrepreneurial, uh, very much a capitalist. Uh, I uh, added a lot of uh, newspaper boxes. I added more newspaper routes. I made it into a little business, and I want to share with you uh, personally. There was a a, a very uh, there was a neighbor who lived right near. Now this is again as a young boy, so I was living with my mom and dad. Uh, my dad was a, a contractor, had his own business, uh, painted and did construction and other things for um, uh, uh, his own business, you know. Uh, definitely um, a middle class, a lower middle class family, seven children, uh, was raised in. Um, you know, so you get the sense of where I'm at there. And as a young boy, so I had these paper routes like uh, Jack was, and he goes on to talk about his paper routes. And there was a neighbor, uh, I remember her name to the moment, it just comes to me right now when I was, again, 14 years old. Uh, I, I'll share it with you right now. I mean, she's long gone, but uh, Jeannie Dunbar, um, fascinating woman. And she was a neighbor and uh, she helped me build a big red wagon to put a roof on it with the rains and the weather so that the newspapers would be safe inside the wagon. And uh, then I would pull the wagon as a young boy through the neighborhoods and I, I increased the newspaper routes and then I would add other newspapers, uh, the, you know, the little machines you'd put uh, 10 cents in to get a newspaper. Um, I delivered to those and I added as so I made it a thriving business, actually, as a young lad. But I'll never forget uh, Jeannie Dunbar, who impacted my life 
by helping to build that wagon. I have some really cool stories about that as a neighbor, but um, it brings me back to Jack's point about being 14, 15 years old, you know. Um, Jack goes on to say, does the intensity of a fatal illness clarify anything? And here's where it gets most interesting, friends. Jack Thomas says, every day I look at my wife's beautiful face more admirably, and in the garden I do steer at the long row of blue hydrangeas with more appreciation than before. On the hundreds and hundreds of roses that bloom this year, with a greater joy than usual, not merely in the massive sprays of color, but also in the deep green foliage, the soft petals, the deep colors and the aromas that remind me of boyhood. As for the crisis in Cuba and Haiti. However, and voting rights and the inexplicable stubbornness of Republicans refuse to admit to an inoculation that might save their lives. All of those matters, no insights, no thunderbolts of discovery. I remain as ignorant as ever. <laughs> I chuckle there and you understand why, listeners. I am now so early into this new hell that I have no pain, although that is coming surely, and no symptoms except moments of utter exhaustion. And in the past three months, a loss of 20 pounds after decades of turning down desserts, candies, and pastries to control my weight. And now seems cruel to be pressured to eat more food for which I have lost appetite. Hmm. Wow. Profound what he says there, isn't it? As my life nears the finish line, the list of things I'll miss grows. I'll miss my homes in Cambridge and Falmouth. I'll never again see the sunrise over the marsh off Vineyard Sound. Never again see the little yellow goldfinch that perched atop a hemlock outside my window from time to time so that both of us could watch the tide rise to cover the wetland. Never again will I stretch out on the sand with a drink and stare in amazement in a sky filled with diamond stars. How is it possible that there could be more than one thousand million stars in our Milky Way. <laughs> Who can say how many millions upon millions more in other galaxies? And yet among them all, there is no planet that supports life. Imagine how newspapers will report that discovery. <laughs> I wish the afterlife were arranged so that I could hear Beethoven's Symphony Number no. 7 again and again, Box of Brandenburg Concertos. <laughs> wow. Love what he says there, friends. So, he goes on to say, all of us who, like me, are blessed with a pause before death, spend some time reliving the better moment. So Jack's looking at the fact that he has a pause before death, the fact that he has terminal cancer, the fact that his prognosis was death, and the fact that he is in the last moments of his life as a blessing. Doesn't look at it as a curse. He says, a pause before death, friends, he calls it rather than sudden death, you know, whether it's something that took you out, it could be a car crash or some sort of an immediate death moment. Uh, so, so I ask you out there, actually, is it a blessing or a curse? You know, I've heard some people say, if they go quickly, it was a blessing. Jack's saying he looks at having this time as a blessing rather than a curse. Huh. I guess it depends how you look at things, isn't it, friends? You know, I, I don't know. It's that's a tricky thing. Blessing or curse? Is it better to have the time to be able to close up all these matters and to think about things more? You know, I remember doing that when my mom was dying. I spent time and I I stayed with her um, in another state, far away from where I was, but felt compelled to do that. I remember sleeping in a chair. 
And she was in her last days in a nursing home and um, sharing memories and thoughts with her and, uh, you know, asking her what regrets she might have and that sort of thing. You know, that's a whole other story for another day. But interesting. Jack goes on to say, after I die, I'm not expecting the world. But this business about the afterlife is more complicated than what they describe in the Bible. The experts say that more than 100 billion humans have died. If you're looking for a buddy to have a beer, uh, then like he goes on to say, like Jasmine, David McKenna, writer Jerry Murphy or Peter Falk. Remember Peter Falk, Columbo, you know. Uh, how are you going to find him in a mob of 100 billion people, Jack Thomas asked. That's a good question, Jack. Yeah. He says, I know that after I die, I probably ought to forget all the treats of this life. Hmm. Wow. You know. And he says, as death draws near, I feel the same uncomfortable transition I experienced when I was a teenager at Brantwood Camp in Peterborough, New Hampshire packing up to go home after a grand summer. I'm not sure what awaits me when I get home, but this has certainly been an exciting experience. I have a lovely family. I had a great job at the newspaper. I met fascinating people, and I saw a myriad of worldwide wonders. It's been full of fun and laughter, too. A really good time. I just wish I could stay a little longer. And those are the words of uh, journalist Jack Thomas. I find that um, both refreshing and fascinating, frankly. In his hope at the end to uh, stay a little longer. And I think the reason for that, friends, is that it's what we don't know that gives us the anxiety and the fear and we don't know because nobody has come back in the human flesh and reported to us on the afterlife or what took place or what happened. I've often thought and wondered myself, I don't know about you, if somebody could do that, how they might do that. I, I'm not getting into people who go into afterlife or talking to the dead, and I'm not talking about religious specifics here within different religions. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm just talking about the real and the flesh here of knowing where we're at. And I, I find the anxiety of people not knowing what's there back to when we leave this earth, when I said to you earlier about a smile, knowing we did it the best, which I think Jack did leave with a smile. But you see, I, I think what I don't want to get lost on you and I right now is he cherished every moment of this life. Yeah, he, he was able to look both in the micro and the macro. He stepped back probably at different times of his life, certainly at this time, and really tried to look at those flowers again and look at his wife and look at the children, look at the laughter, look at the plays and look at the theater and look at all of the senses and smells and the career and the job and the work and the life and the people and laugh at it all and smile with great enthusiasm. My friends... That is what I wish for each of you, to fully embrace this life, just as Jack Thomas has done, this journalist, a man who obviously impacted a lot of lives. That's what I wish for each of us. And I wish you could 
not just embrace all of these moments. And when you do leave this life, you do leave with a smile and memories, but that you fulfilled your passion, your destiny, your motivations inside of you. Too many people die with all of that being unfulfilled, not aspiring to life's grandest moments. I, d I don't wish that on anyone. It has nothing to do with whether you're, what your political affiliation is or your religion or anything else, just as a human being in the flesh. I wish that for each and every person. The lessons of journalist Jack Thomas, I, I find remarkable. The story I share with you, uh, the links to all of this will be in the post, to be sure. And to Jack Thomas, thank you, sir, for all your contributions here on, on this uh, beautiful earth. Uh, and I can, I have a sense and a feel. I, I hope maybe your wife and children might hear this talk. But uh, we're blessed to have you in it, uh, to embrace all of it, including the politics of the moment, just like you did with your dad, who was your best friend, which is remarkable. And I think we could have been the same here and spent time sharing a laughter or a piece of wisdom, advice, thoughts as we talk about SOBs uh, in the White House, <laughs> to be sure. Jack Thomas, Boston Globe, dies at age 83. My fellow Americans, to all of our dear friends around this beautiful globe, I wish you the very best and a jump in your step always. It's time to get involved and get loud. America.